Well, good morning, everybody. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We are in a series of messages that we're calling Free at Last, uh, based on Romans chapter 8. And as I mentioned to you last week, I believe that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all of Scripture. I really do. I think it's that powerful and it's that good. What's interesting about Romans 8, though, is uh, even with the chapter being so, so popular and, and so powerful, um, there's a lot of um, differences of opinion among Bible commentators and scholars about really what the theme of Romans 8 is. And so some commentators will tell you that they believe that Romans 8 is all about the spirit. And so you'll notice uh, 17 times in Romans chapter 8 is the spirit mentioned. And so that makes a, a very compelling case for why the theme of Romans 8 is the spirit. But then there are also some commentators that say the theme is really not about the spirit. The theme is about assurance. And so they make the case this way, that chapter eight begins with the two greatest words in all of scripture, no condemnation. And then chapter eight ends with what I think are the second greatest words in all of scripture, and that is no separation. And so what you see are these bookends of no condemnation and then no separation that really serve as the foundation for the confidence or the assurance that we have as believers. And so that brings us back to the question, what is Romans eight really about? What's the theme of Romans eight? Is it about the spirit or is it about assurance? And I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is really both. Now, this, this view is not original to me, but I think really what we see here is that the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer is to bring that believer assurance of their salvation, assurance and confidence in their relationship with God. In other words, the main work of the Spirit is to make God real to us, to, to tell us that we are God's children and that we are loved by him. That is the core work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I really believe that the root problem for all of our struggles in the Christian life is the fact that, we, that we're not aware of God's love for us, that we're not aware of his goodness and care for us on a daily basis. And so this uh, lack of awareness leads us to doubt the presence of the God, the presence of God in our lives. It, it leads us to doubt his love and care for us. And so, so then what happens because of that, we become enslaved to fear and to worry and to, to anger and lust and pride and a host of, of other things in our life. And so that all uh, serves to really hinder the work of the spirit in our life because we're, we're just simply not aware of of his love and his care and concern for us. How different would it be in your life if you had a real time confidence just in the ordinary day of your life? How, how, how much of a difference would a real time confidence of the love of God and the presence of God and the goodness and care of God in your life be if you, if, if, if you knew that he was with you and he cared about you. Oh, I think, I think it would make a total difference in your life. In fact, as you think about the situation that we're in, the, the pandemic that we're navigating and all of the uncertainty, I think just the knowledge of the awareness of God, the love of God that he has for each of us, his care, his goodness to us, regardless of the circumstances, the knowledge of that would be a complete game changer. It would set us free. And so that's what I really believe 
that this chapter is about, we would experience the freedom of God as we become aware of his goodness and his love and his his presence with us every day. And so that's what I want us to look at today as we as we dive into a, a part of Romans eight. I want us to look at uh, the section in Romans eight where really Paul describes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what we're going to see are the practical ways that the Holy Spirit makes God real to us. And so we're going to look at the work of the Spirit. Now, there's a there's a theological term uh, for the work of the Spirit in our lives. And the theological term is adoption, adoption. And I love how Wayne Grudem, a theologian, describes or defines adoption. He defines it this way. He says, adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. It's an act of God where he makes us members of his family. Now, when we begin to think about just how incredible salvation really is and how comprehensive it is, it really takes more than one word to describe salvation. And so I want to just do a little bit of theology with you. You can you can you can you can stay right with me through this, but I I think it'll help you understand what adoption is all about. And so there's three parts of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives in salvation. The first one is a term called regeneration. And in regeneration, we receive new life from the Holy Spirit. In other words, we are born again. That's regeneration. But then justification is a little bit different. Justification is where we receive a new legal standing with God. In other words, it's almost as if we're in the courtroom and we are declared not guilty. That's justification. But then adoption is a little bit different. Adoption is really where God makes us members of his family. Adoption is where the Holy Spirit makes God, uh, makes God real to us and personal to us in our salvation. And what is interesting about regeneration and justification and adoption is they don't happen separately. They happen at the moment of salvation. Even if you don't even remember the day that you became a Christian, Regeneration, justification, and adoption happen simultaneously in the Christian life. That's exactly what happens. It happens at the moment you receive uh, the grace of God and put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, even though they happen simultaneously, uh, the experience and the understanding of adoption sometimes happens more slowly for Christians because it's just a little bit more difficult to get our minds around uh, the reality of adoption in our lives. It takes a little bit longer for some to really realize the power of adoption and the experience of it. Let me, let me share with you what I mean. In, in my own life, I, I have no problem with looking at the cross of Jesus and knowing that God has forgiven me. I mean, that's, that's a slam dunk. I, I really look at the cross, I look at what Jesus has done for me, and I really get that, that God has forgiven me of my sin and my rebellion. But sometimes I do struggle believing that God enjoys me like I enjoy my own children. Sometimes I struggle really believing that. Two of the greatest days of my life were the days when my children were born. I'd never met them before, obviously. I'd never talked to them. They hadn't done anything for me. 
And yet on that day they were born and even all the way to this day, the love that I have for them is absolutely indescribable. But sometimes it's hard for me to believe that God loves me like that. Sometimes it's just hard for me to believe that. And yet the work of the Spirit in adoption is not only to reveal to us that God is a righteous judge, but to also reveal to us that he is a, he is a loving heavenly Father. See, at the core of what the Spirit of God does in the heart of a believer is to reveal to us that not only that God loves us, but He delights in us. That, that, that the work of the Spirit is to show us that God not only loves us, but He likes us. And I think that's exactly what Paul is describing as the work of the Spirit in Romans 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to read verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, the key phrase in this passage is that phrase in verse 15, where Paul talks about this spirit of adoption. Now, let me just take a couple of minutes and kind of set this message up with a little bit of background information related to adoption in Paul's day in the Roman Empire. You see, adoption occurred in the Roman Empire in Paul's day when a wealthy adult did not have an heir uh, to his estate. And so what this wealthy adult would do was go out and find a child or a, or a teenager or an adult and then designate them as, as the heir to their estate. And so at the moment of legal adoption, several things happened at one time. The first thing that happened for uh, that new heir was that all of the debts and the legal obligations of that heir were completely taken care of. The second thing that would happen is that that new heir would receive a completely new name. That new heir would have a, a whole new identity by virtue of this adoption. And then third, the new father was liable for all of the actions of the new heir. And then lastly, there was an obligation on the part of the new heir to please his new father. And so all of those things are at work in, Ro in Roman adoption in the first century. And so these are also overtones of what really Paul is trying to convey to us in this concept of spiritual, of ad spiritual adoption. Now, let me call your attention to uh, one other thing that's really important for us as we kind of frame uh, this whole concept of, of the Spirit of God making God real to us. What you'll notice in this passage 
is Paul refers to us as sons of God. He's referring to all of us as sons of God. And he does this three times in five verses. He also refers to all of us as children of God three times in, in five verses. And so in the cultural moment that we find ourselves in today, gender neutral language uh, as children, if you will, uh, is considered appropriate. And, and then uh, when referring to both men and women, using a term like sons of God would be called inappropriate. It would be called insensitive to really refer to men and women as, as sons of God. And the thing that I would say is this, that we really don't need to correct scripture here and we can't correct scripture in this moment because what Paul is trying to do is he's really trying to subvert a, a male dominated culture in his day. And in fact, what, what he's doing is he has the boldness to apply this, this concept of sonship to all believers, both men and women. And in doing so, he is undercutting a male dominated society and he's sending the message that God shows, uh, God does not discriminate between men and women. What he's really trying to convey is this, that by using this masculine only institution of, of adoption, is he's really trying to convey that men and women are now full heirs of the family of God. That's what he's really trying to convey. He wants to send the message completely, the revolutionary message that, uh, that ladies, you get all of the privileges of a firstborn in the first century. That's exactly what he's trying to do. So here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is this, Christian women really shouldn't resent being called sons of God any more than Christian men resent being called the bride of Christ. Because the, the point of both of those terms is this, that all Christians are sons of God and all Christians are a part of the bride of Christ. So with that as a backdrop, let's look at four ways the Holy Spirit really makes God real to us. See, the Holy Spirit gives us four very practical things. He gives us a leading for our lives, number one. He gives us power in our prayers, number two. He gives us assurance of our adoption, number three. And he gives us incentive to lay hold of our inheritance, number four. So let's look at four of these just very briefly today. Look at number one, the Holy Spirit gives us leading for our lives. And you see this in verse 14, where the Apostle Paul says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I want you to notice that phrase in the first part of uh, verse 14, where the apostle Paul says, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now that's a very important distinction. And the distinction is this, that God is not the father of everyone. He's not the father of everyone. Now we'll often hear that said that we're all children of God and God's the father of us all, but it's really a myth. God is the creator of us all, but he's only the father of the justified and the adopted. 
That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's the distinction that he makes when he says that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see, the reality is there are a lot of children in my life, but I am only the father of two of them. And that's the truth. And so what does it mean to be adopted? You know, in this passage of scripture that, that, that Paul really wants us to grasp, I think it really means this, that adoption is the work of the Holy Spirit where we have the Spirit of God and we are led by the Spirit of God. And this goes back to what we've been talking about really over the last couple of weeks, that the Spirit of God has done a work in us to free us from sin. That the Spirit of God has been uh, reborn, that has, has been born into our hearts by grace through faith. And we have been set free from sin and selfishness and Satan and religion and the world. Now, before justification and before adoption, we were very much enslaved to sin and selfishness and Satan and religion and the ways of the world. We were very much in slavery. But after justification, we've been set free. And so before we came to Christ, we were, we were slaves to this lie that a better version of ourselves would solve all of our problems. And before we came to Christ, we were slaves to this lie that, uh, that, that having the approval and the validation of other, other people would satisfy us ultimately. Before we came to Christ, we were slaves to the idea of really what the world tells us all the time, that if, that if we have more stuff and newer stuff and bigger stuff and better stuff, then that would finally satisfy. We were slaves to the idea for so long that, that we could earn our way, that we, could be, that we could be good people and we could achieve salvation through our own religious observances and through our own moral goodness. You see, the reality is at one point, we were slaves to one or all of those things. But what happened? The Spirit of God worked in our heart to set us free and to give us freedom to live from those lies of the world. And see, that's at the heart of what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he says that he's giving us a new leading for our lives. He says, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And I think really the, the, what he's talking about here is the Spirit of God in us is now free to lead us and to teach us and to work in us to free us from, from the lies that we so often give ourselves to. For example, so many times I, I find myself looking for validation and approval from others as my ultimate source of significance. And I get this, I get this check from the Spirit of God where the Spirit of God just says, Scott, what are you doing? You, you already have the approval of your heavenly Father. You, you, don't need to, you don't need to chase after it in other people. And so I realized that and come to a place of confessing and repenting and throwing myself at the mercy of God. And then, and then other times I find myself chasing the ways of the world, thinking that you know, having more stuff and newer stuff and better stuff in my life, that that will ultimately, ultimately satisfy me. And then the Spirit of God checks me and says, Scott, well, what are you doing chasing after these things? Don't you know that in Christ you have everything? that your ultimate satisfaction is in, in your heavenly Father. And so then I confess and repent and throw myself at the mercy of God. 
Or maybe sometimes I fall into this trap of thinking that that if I could just be a good person, if I could just, you know, be a, a, a great dad or a great husband or a great Christian, then I could earn God's favor and blessing in my life. And, and, and so the Spirit of God checks me and says, Scott, you already have the blessing of God in your life. You, you have everything you need in Him. And so then I confess that to God and, and repent of that and throw myself at the mercies of God in my life. And I think that's really a picture of what it means to have the Spirit of God leading my life, that I, I am under new ownership. And, and, so, and so really growth in Christ is not this stair-stepping to perfection, but it's a realization of my own chasing after other things and confessing that to God and repenting of that and, and, then, and then crying out for mercy and grace from God. I think that's, that's growth in Christ-likeness. Now, the truth of the matter is, before I became a Christian, I, I couldn't do any of that. But now that I have the Spirit of God in me that set me free, now I can respond to the Spirit's leadings. And this is a huge way that the Spirit of God makes God real to me every single day. As I put my trust in Him, I see that He not only loves me, but He delights in me. But there's a second way that the Spirit makes God real to me. And that is really through the, the through power in my own prayer life. The Spirit gives us power in our prayers. And you really see this in verse 15, where the Apostle Paul says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, that phrase, Abba, Father, is really, really important. Uh, that phrase Abba in Aramaic simply means Papa or Daddy. And so what he's talking about is, is this, that the Spirit gives us power in our prayer life by bringing God the Father so close to us that we can call Him Papa, we can call Him Daddy. You see, the imagery here really describes a relationship of God's closeness to us, of intimacy with God, of immediate access to God, of, of really being known and loved by God. That's, that's the picture that we get. You know, there's a, there's a great picture of President John F. Kennedy where he is working at the desk of the Oval Office in the White House, and right underneath him is his son, John Jr., playing underneath the desk. And I love that picture because really the picture connotates to us the the love of a father, that, he, that the love that the father has for the son, that the fact that the son has immediate access, that the son is experiencing closeness, that the son can just call out and, and, the father, and the father can hear him. And I think it's a beautiful picture of the work of the Spirit of God in the life of every believer and really just giving us power in our prayers to call out to God. And you see this in verse, verse 15 because, because not only can we cry, Abba, Father, but I don't want you to miss this, church. What the Apostle Paul is saying is we can cry out to him. We, we not only cry, Abba, Father, but we can cry to him. Now think about when a, when a child wants her father, what does she do? She just cries out. And she can cry out when she's feeling fearful, 
when she's feeling anxious, when she's feeling uncertain, you know, when she's, uh, when she's grieving, when she's hurting, she can cry out at any moment. And she cries out in the confidence that her father loves her and cares about her and will hear the cries of her heart. That is the privilege of being sons of God. That's, that's really the privilege of knowing God as our Father. And that's exactly what happens through the work of the Spirit, that God is so close to us, that He is so intimate with us, that He is so loving towards us that we can call to Him and we know that He hears us. You know, Peter reminds us of this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where, where we're reminded of this, that we can cast all of our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. And so that is the blessing of God being real to us, no matter what we're going through. Now, the question becomes, are you taking your anxieties and your concerns and your cares to your Heavenly Father? Are you casting them on Him? And so if God, if God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, makes our prayers powerful, then how should we be praying? Well, let me give you three real quick practical ways that you should be praying through the Spirit of God. I think first and foremost, you can pray honestly. You can pray honestly. In other words, you can be straight with God because God's shoulders are big enough for Him to handle whatever difficulty you're going through. Whatever complaints that you have, his shoulders are wide enough to strong, and strong enough for you to be honest. And so we need to pray honestly. We also need to pray constantly because, because as we've mentioned before, God is always with us. And so while you need to have designated times of prayer throughout the, throughout the day, you can also be praying throughout your day. So as cares and concerns kind of pop up in your life throughout the day, you have the closeness and the access to your heavenly father where you can call to him. And then lastly, you, need, you can pray humbly. You can humble yourself before God and say, God, this is, this is what I want. This is what I want from you. And you can pray humbly enough to know that, that God will do what's best for you and give you what you need and that will make the total difference in your life. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us leading for our lives, to give us power in our prayers. But third, the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us assurance of our adoption. Look with me at verse 16 and notice what the Apostle Paul says specifically about this assurance of our adoption. He says it this way, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what you see very plainly is the work of the Holy Spirit is to give us the assurance, the, the confidence of our adoption in Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, well, how does the Spirit do this? And I would say that the Spirit gives us this assurance in two very specific ways. The first way that He gives us assurance the first proof of our adoption is the fact that we have a desire to be obedient to God. We have this desire to please Him. We have this desire to obey God. And oftentimes you'll hear people who've, who've committed their, you know, who've, who've become a Christian recently, they'll share their story and they'll describe it like this, that I, that I surrendered my life to the Lord or I committed my life to Christ. 
Now, they're not talking about, well, I, I kind of found Jesus and I'm going to kind of duct tape into my life or I'm going to kind of bolt him to my life and carry him with me. Or, you know, God is, you know, Jesus is now my co-pilot. You know, that, that's not how it's described. The way that it's described is really through surrender, through lordship, that, that I have surrendered my life to Christ. I have a, a new leader, a new governor uh, in my life who's calling the shots. I am, I am submitting my life to God. And so really what that is, is that is, a, that is an expression of the work of the Spirit that gives us des a desire to want to be obedient to God in all that we do. Now, this obedience, this desire for obedience is oftentimes imperfectly executed, no question about it. But nevertheless, the desire is there and it's real. Now, let me just kind of pause and say something kind of hard, something kind of difficult. And it, the, the way that I would say it would be this way that if you don't have that desire to obey God, then very simply, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. If you have no desire in your life to obey God, if your attitude towards God is, well, I, I don't really care what his word says and I don't care what, what God says, I'm just gonna do my own thing, then the reality is, is you haven't been justified. You, you haven't been adopted into his family. And so the reason why I share that with you is because I care about you and I don't want you to live under some false pretense that just because you get up on Sunday morning and you watch a sermon video with the rest of your family like, like everybody else is kind of doing on a Sunday, that that means that you're a Christian. You see, the reality of the Spirit's work in adoption is this, that you have this desire to obey Him even though it's it's imperfectly executed in your life. So that's the first thing, the first way the Spirit witnesses to our spirit that we're children of God. But there's a second way, and, and that's really through um, a confidence that we have in the greatness of God and His care for us. Just a tremendous confidence. It, it's really a confidence reflected in the statement that, that Paul says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? God is my father and my father can beat up your father. That's the kind of confidence that the spirit gives to us. And you see this confidence played out in the last part of Romans eight, where he says, who can separate us from the love of God? Shall, you know, shall nakedness or peril or uh, famine or the sword or a pandemic, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. And it's that assurance, that confidence that we have in the greatness of God and in the power of God that makes a total difference, regardless of the challenges we're facing or the struggles that we're having or the uncertainties that we're facing in the future. And so, and so I think that's at the heart of what the Holy Spirit does in giving us this assurance of our salvation. But there's one more work of the Holy Spirit where we see His, His practical work in our lives. And it's this, the, what the Spirit of God does is give, give us an incentive to lay hold of our inheritance. And you see this in verse 17 where uh, Paul says this, that, um, that really the Spirit Himself bears witness with, 
with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. Now, what verse 17 is saying is this, and it's so simple, that if you are, you are a child of God, then you are an heir of God. If, if we're children of God, then we are full heirs of God. That the work of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing adoption in us is to put us in this position of a firstborn son in the first century where we receive the entire inheritance. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. We are full heirs of God as, as sons and daughters of God, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. Now, I think the question then becomes, well, what exactly do we inherit? Like, what is our inheritance? And I think the answer is pretty simple. The fulfillment of our deepest longings and our deepest desires. In other words, we inherit God himself. We inherit a perfect relationship with our heavenly father. Psalm 73, 25 says it like this. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now, where does that come from? That is a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, what this means is that because of the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in redemption, that we have a glorious future. And that glorious future is characterized by a perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father. That we will walk with Him, we will talk with Him, we will see Him, we will know Him. And we will experience the blessing of that, the love of that for, our, for all of eternity. What an amazing future. What an incredible inheritance we have. I love how John puts it. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we are called children of God. And indeed, that is what we are. Now, the reality is it hasn't always been that way. There, it hasn't always been where we can call God our Father. Which is kind of interesting when you, when you look through the Old Testament, you'll never find a single instance of a person referring to God as Father. Not a single instance of it in the entire Old Testament. And then Jesus comes on the scene and every time he refers to God, he refers to God as his heavenly Father. With one exception. There's one exception where Jesus didn't refer to God as Father. Do you remember where it was? It was when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, why was that the only time when Jesus didn't refer to God as his Father? Well, I think the answer is simple. Jesus allowed himself to be forsaken so you and I wouldn't have to be. Jesus allowed himself to be separated from God so that, no, so that we would no longer have to be separated from God. Jesus gave up his perfect relationship with his heavenly father that he had for all of eternity so that we could have a perfect relationship with, 
with our Heavenly Father for all of eternity. And so when you, when you see that reality, then the truth comes to bear. The truth comes to the forefront that God not only loves you, but he delights in you. And God not only loves you and delights in you, but God likes you. He must because he's arranged it so that we could spend all of eternity with him. Now, you might be there asking, well, I don't know God as a father. I don't, I'm not, I haven't been adopted as a child of God. What do I need to do to have God as my heavenly father and be adopted into his family? Well, the answer is as simple as A, B, and C. A is you admit your need for a savior. You admit that you've sinned and you've rebelled against God. B means that you, you believe that Jesus Christ took your place on the cross and died for your sins. And then C, you commit your life to him. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the tremendous promise that adoption can be ours through the, through the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would become real to every person watching. Lord, that you would draw near and, and that you would make uh, every person's adoption sure through the witness of the Spirit today. God, would you do that? Would you reveal yourself to us that we would walk with you, that we would know the Father as a caring, close, and strong Heavenly Father. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.